John underlines for us is how all of this took place on the Sabbath. And specifically, uh, how the Jews were upset that this man was uh, taking up his bed, carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. And the fact that the Sabbath was the setting for this miracle is very significant and instructive to us. And I think on in this account, one of the uh, sort of the uh, the central things that help us help us to understand what happened here is Jesus' question to this man in verse. Jesus says, "You want to be healed." And on this Sabbath day, it is that same question that Jesus puts to us: Do we? want the healing touch of His grace and His power in our lives. Now we're told that this healing took place at the pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy or house of grace. And again, John includes these things because there is likely significance in them. Jesus is about to show mercy and grace to this crippled man on the Sabbath day. And I mentioned about these superstitions that these people had, and John tells us that around these pools lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed people. And I think sometimes we can we can be so familiar with some of these accounts in the gospel that we really don't stop to really think about what this would have been like. Imagine this for a moment. A multitude of blind, lame, paralyzed people. Imagine the pathetic pushing and shoving that would have taken place as they tried to get down into the pool first. Imagine the dirt and the filth and the smell. It's a tragic and depressing scene. It led Edward Donnelly to call it a pitiful mass of broken, desperate, damaged humanity. A pitiful mass of broken, desperate, damaged humanity. And friends, this is intended to be an accurate yet disturbing picture of this world. Of fallen, sinful humanity. It is a picture of us in many ways. A pitiful mass of broken, damaged People spiritually blind, lame, sometimes paralyzed. And yet in the midst of this broken, pitiful mass of damaged humanity stands Jesus Christ. The one who is the bringer of salvation. The one who is the recreator, the healer, the restorer of sinners. You see, we sit in the same place today. A pitiful mass 
of broken, damaged sinners, and yet it is the Sabbath. Jesus is at work, and He is among us, and He is eager to bring us His grace and His healing. So let's begin about thinking about this one man that Jesus singles out. This account centers on this one man, and we need to begin by thinking about his helpless condition. Isn't it amazing that out of this mass of broken humanity that Jesus comes to this one man? Already, if you have a good memory, in, in the passages we have considered in John over the last couple of weeks, this is something that John underlines for us, that these people that Jesus come to are in a state of utter helplessness. We saw it with the wedding couple, with the wine. They were completely helpless. They couldn't do anything to help themselves. The Samaritan woman was in this pitiful state of helplessness. And here we find this man who was totally and utterly helpless. And Jesus chooses to shine his grace on this one man. Now I want you to notice how John gives us these details that highlight how utterly helpless this man was. We're told that he was an invalid and that is clear that it was some sort of paralysis uh, given that he couldn't get down to the pool by himself. We're told he had been in condition for 38 years, which tells us that this wasn't something he was just going to get better from. He had been like this for a long time. He wasn't going to get better. And then uh, it's, it's sad and pathetic. In verse 7, we, we, even in his helpless state, he says he has no one. And John seems to be showing us that out of this mass, this multitude of damaged, disabled people, that here is a man who is the worst off. Out of this sea of broken, damaged humanity, this man was the worst. And his helplessness is further highlighted by one final detail. Look at verse 13. John tells us that even after he is healed physically by Jesus, he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know who Jesus was. Here he was in the presence of the Savior of the world, the one who could heal and restore him, and he doesn't know who he is. Friends, these details are all designed to teach us about ourselves, our need for a Savior, and the kind of Savior that we have. You see, this man's total and utter helplessness, and if you're, I gave you blanks. I'm, I don't know if you're used to that or not. It, you know, those of you who are Springs Reformed, like I'd get in trouble if I didn't put blanks in the bulletin. So... There you go. I mean, there's a blank. If you want to fill it in, it reveals our total inability or our total helplessness apart from Jesus Christ. 
our total inability, our helplessness apart from Jesus. You see, the emphasis is that in the midst of all of these disabled people was a man who was completely unabled. And is it not an apt picture of us apart from Jesus Christ? Total, utter helplessness, not able to do anything ourselves, so blind that we wouldn't even recognize Jesus? This is fallen humanity apart from Jesus. And yet, we know that these signs are not just meant for unbelievers, but they're meant for believers. They're intended to teach us and strengthen us and even confront us to help us overcome our sin and grow in Christ. And so if you are in Christ this morning, this says something about you as well. We may have come to Christ in a saving way, and yet we know we're not going to arrive spiritually in this life. Are we not still, in many ways, damaged, broken, disabled people? There are things spiritually that we are so blind to. At times we feel like we're just limping along in our walk with Christ. We may feel paralyzed from doing good or resisting evil. We may have deep wounds in our life from having been legitimately wronged. But like Bethesda, like that Sabbath day, Jesus is present and we are here in His house of mercy in His house of grace, on the Sabbath, and He comes to us a pathetic mass of broken, damaged people. And He offers His healing, mercy, and grace to us. And so friends, my question to you today, do you you recognize that need for healing? Do you see yourself, as we so often read in the Psalms, the psalmist calls himself poor and needy. Do you see yourself like that today? I mean, do you recognize that even those areas of your life that are going really well, those areas where you're having great success, that you're only only experiencing that because of the blessedness of the Lord and His strength and His power. Do you recognize that no matter how long you have been a Christian, that there are areas of our life that need touched by Jesus? It might be some isolated corner of our hearts and minds, some isolated corner of our life. And yet we need that healing touch of Jesus. One writer said this, he said, Like the invalid, we too can have long, lingering needs which reach back across many years. And if we claim we do not need further healing, we cut ourselves off from the Savior's power, for God gives grace to the humble and helps the needy when they call. 
Do you recognize your need today? And to this point, Jesus asked this man a question, and he really today puts the same question to us. It's as though this morning we have come into his Father's house of mercy and grace. And it's as though Jesus looks directly at us and asks us this question, and it is a direct question. Look at verse 6. Do you want to be healed? Now, I think sometimes we need to take a step back and think about this. Like, he's talking to this man who was in misery, paralyzed for 38 years, the worst of the invalids, and Jesus says, well, do you want to be healed? Put yourself in his shoes. Would you not maybe be a little bit insulted? I could never as a pastor imagine going to visit someone in the hospital who was suffering and sitting beside their bed and saying, well, do you want to be healed? It, 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 it seems almost insulting. But we know that that's not what's going on here. Jesus didn't ask insulting questions. He wasn't trying to be cruel or mean to this man. There's something deeper here. And it's evidenced in the fact that, that in the Greek, the, the, the way you under-highlight something in the Greek is you just put the word at the beginning of the sentence. And Jesus' question here, the word want, is given particular emphasis. And so we, we could translate it this way. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want this? And it's clear that Jesus is getting at something deeper here because notice the man's evasive response. Notice how he doesn't actually answer the question. I mean, we would expect an enthusiastic, yes, yes, I really want to be healed. But notice what he says. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. That's not an answer. That is an excuse. He's saying, here's why I haven't gotten better. Jesus was getting at something deeper, and he's getting at something deeper with us. There was something in this man that just didn't want to be healed. He didn't want the healing touch of Jesus. And the commentators speculate on why that might be. Maybe after 38 years, he had simply lost the will to get better. He had just given up. He had gotten used to being the way that he was, it was normal for him. And I think we see this not only in our own lives, but we see unbelievers who are just, they're comfortable in their misery. And so that might be it, but there could be another factor. 
scholars and historians uh, note that it was possible for a beggar in Jerusalem to actually make a very good living. You'll notice opens this by telling us that there was a feast of the Jews, and the feast in Jerusalem would have brought hundreds of thousands of pilgrims to Jerusalem, right past this sheep gate. And these were people who were held morally hostage by the Pharisees, and so if a disabled person asked them for money, they would feel compelled to give it to them. Hundreds of thousands of visitors. This guy gets a dollar from a good portion of that. That's a pretty good multiple feast a year. But the point is that the prospect of getting better would have presented this man with more challenges than if he simply stayed the way he was. Jesus has put his finger on the issue. This man was happy managing his disease in his own way. And he really didn't want to change because it would cost him. Friends, if we know our own hearts, this should sadly ring a bell for us. Because Jesus' question in this Man's answer reveals our unwillingness. You know, there was first our unwillingness apart from Jesus Christ, that in our natural state we are not only unable to come to Him, but we were unwilling. In other words, we, in our natural condition, we, we not only lack the ability to receive Christ, but we lacked any desire. We didn't want Him. We didn't see His beauty and His power and His grace. And friends, if you're a Christian here today, remember it's only because Jesus, by His sovereign grace, gave you both the ability and the willingness to come to Him. This man's inability and his unwillingness underlines the wonder and the grace of Jesus. I mean, who saves someone like this? Jesus does. He was unable, he was unwilling, and yet Jesus, by a sovereign, gracious act, heals him. But friends, even for us as believers at times, Is it not true that we can be unwilling to be healed? This question from Jesus, do you want to be healed? It's a question that the gospel confronts us with every day. Jesus has promised to transform our lives, to forgive our sins, to grant us repentance from sin, to work in us new obedience and growth in grace. And friends, right now we are in the place where Jesus delights to do this. It is the Sabbath and the Father is working and Jesus is working. But the question is, do you want Him to work on you today?
need his healing touch in your life. You see, Jesus puts this question to us, and at times like this man, we can evade the question. There may be sins in our life that have been there for many years. A sin that we simply lost the will to strive against. A sin that maybe we've just gotten used to it. We've gotten used to being the way we are, so much so that it's just normal. And like this man, sometimes do we not make excuses for why we think we haven't gotten better? Why we haven't progressed in the faith? People blame the church. They blame family members. They blame brothers and sisters in Christ. And and friends, is it not true that like this man, forsaking sin can bring great cost to us? Great pain. As Jesus said, there might be a right eye that needs to be gouged out. There might be a right hand that needs to be cut off. In other words, there there might need to be a radical break with something. A relationship that needs to be ended. A, A situation that needs to be changed. You see, there may be those radical changes that need to take place and we just simply don't want to do it. And we can see here that Jesus, as he comes to us, he is aggressive with us. He's aggressive because he loves us. He puts us on the spot. Do you really want to be healed? But while this reveals our unwillingness, thankfully, it doesn't depend on our own strength and it doesn't stop Jesus from being aggressive with us. Because thirdly, what we see is we see salvation, we see an exhortation, and then we see sanctification. Now, some commentators, they're not very kind uh, to this man. Um, They say we have no evidence of his faith, that Uh, He doesn't come back and thanks Jesus. That He sort of tattles on Jesus. But I think if we look closely here, we see evidence of true saving faith in this man. It it sort of took place in in steps in this man's life, but it's there. Uh, Think about for a second how when Jesus commanded to take up his mat and walked, would that not have required faith? I mean, he could have said, that's ridiculous. I've been walking 38 years. Are you crazy? He could have said, you know, let me sit here for a half hour and see if I have any, any like a tingling sensation in my legs, and then, and then I'll try. But the text says, at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. That required an act of faith. He had to believe the word of Jesus. 
And when Jesus finds him in the temple, we hear this challenging exhortation that I, I believe, and other commentators believe, points to saving faith. Jesus says, See, you are well. Now we need to remember, this isn't me, this isn't you saying this to someone. You know, we could say this to someone, they say, not, not well, like, what are you talking about? But this is Jesus. When Jesus says this, it's a sovereign declaration. Oh, well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. This is a sovereign declaration and parting of salvation. Jesus was pointing out that this, this man's sickness was a shadow of the eternal consequences of sin. He's saying, look, there's actually something worse that could have happened to you. But my power has saved you, and it will also sanctify you. Gordon Ketty, in his commentary, writes that this miracle certainly attests and encapsulates the very essence of the gospel of grace. It was sovereignly given, it was attended by the exercise of faith on the part of the recipient, and it issued in a radically new life for him. And that means, friends, that this Jesus' exhortation, his words to this man, reveals the transforming power of Jesus Christ for you and me. This is Jesus giving this man true faith. He's, he's saying, by my grace, I have changed you physically. Now by my grace, I'm changing you spiritually. Now go and sin no more. And is that not what we are told that the grace of God does in Titus 2? That it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This exhortation calls us to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. And friends, that's really the significance of the Sabbath day, we could say, even of the Lord's table for us. And the bread and the wine when we come to the table are the symbols of what Jesus has done to heal us by His life and His death. And our gracious Savior, He knows. He knows that we often don't want healing. He knows that we don't desire growth and holiness as we should, which is one of the reasons He's given us a holy day and He's given us sacraments. Things meant to encourage us and assure us of His love for us. I don't know when we would get to come to the Lord's table again. Meditate on that, and sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. And as we're not able to come to the Lord's table now, let that prompt gratitude in your heart for that sacrament. We're at the table, Jesus tells us, 
And He directs us to the elements which point to His broken body and blood shed for our sins and says, See, you are well. By my wounds you have been healed. Now go in my strength and sin no more. You could say that's what the entire Sabbath day is for. And we approach it in faith. It becomes to us a a real means of grace to build us up in the faith. The Lord on this day uses it to turn us from our sins, to increase our desire for healing and holiness, increase our desire to walk more faithfully in service of our blessed Jesus. And so friends, there is healing for you today. If you come to Him and say, yes, I want to be healed, Jesus assures you of His love and He says, see, you are well. Now go in My power and sin no more. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we we thank You for the blessed healing of salvation that is brought in Jesus Christ the divine power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, we come to You this day and we acknowledge that we are indeed a pitiful mass of broken, damaged humanity. And yet we come clothed in the glorious beautiful, pure garments of Christ and His righteousness. Lord, help us to say today, yes, I want to be healed. Touch those areas of our life that need to be touched. Lord, heal us from the wounds that we may have suffered at the hands of another and Cause us to lean on the mercy and grace and healing power of Jesus, our Savior. And Lord, may we look forward to that day of final and full healing on the day of the Lord when you come again to take us to yourselves that where you are, we may be also. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and him crucified. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.